One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In the UK, one talks about swearing. In the US, about cursing. But we all know what we mean – that explicit exclamation of shock or annoyance when we drop a bottle of milk over the newly cleaned kitchen floor. That utterance of exasperation when something you needed last week isn't coming till next Tuesday. What the f**k? That expression of incredulity and disbelief when one is told something surprisingly awful. Swear words are grammatically and idiomatically versatile. The same four-letter word can be used in various forms to tell someone to go away, to express being beset by unfortunate circumstances that seem impossible to overcome, and to exclaim that someone has messed up or spoilt something. These often inappropriate words are an integral part of any language. But what makes something a swear word? And for our purposes, how modern are our swear words? What would the Tudors have said? I should warn you that what follows contains some of the fruitiest words in the English language from the very beginning. If it helps, philosophers distinguish between use and mention. We are not using curse words, we're mentioning them, because frankly, it's very hard to record a podcast about swearing without swearing. It would be very confusing for a start. And as we'll see, some of those we think the worst were small beer in the 16th century anyway. But if it would offend you, please feel free to turn off and I won't hold it against you and hopefully you won't hold it against me. Our foul mouth guide, sorry, our guide to being foul mouth is the brilliant Melissa Moore. She's the author of Holy Shit, A Brief History of Swearing, published by Oxford University Press, which appeared on the Guardian bestseller list. She holds a PhD from Stanford University in medieval and Renaissance English literature, and she's written for many of the major broadsheets in the UK and the US. I think the first place we have to start is by asking you, what makes something a swear word? Yes, swear words have the power to kidnap our attention and make us consider the sort of unpleasant connotations of the word in a way that other words don't. That's Steven Pinker's definition. And these words are given that power through hundreds of years of societal conditioning, but they really do have power that's different from other words. When you say fuck, it can help with pain relief, as various studies have shown. It definitely relieves stress and pressure. 
it has these physiological effects and can increase your heart rate in the speaker and the hearer. It sticks in the mind. If you get various forms of dementia and you lose your ability to adopt sentences, you can still swear. And so these words have quantifiable, verifiable effects on people that other words don't. And yet I still can't quite fathom what one is, if that makes any sense. The distinction that you make in your book is between connotation and denotation. And perhaps you can explain that to listeners, because it seems to be something about what the word means and what it conveys. And those two things aren't necessarily exactly the same. So yes, so you have two words that means the same thing. But it's not almost so much what it conveys as what it does. They have these effects that other words don't. It actually is that when you stick your hand in a bucket of ice water and you say, fuck, 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 you can keep it in there longer than if you're saying, bonk, 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 because swear words are stored and processed in a different area of our brains. And so they're more thoroughly or more closely connected to what you can loosely call the limbic system, which processes emotions and the quote unquote baser functions of our brain. And so swear words really are better at evoking other people's emotions and expressing our own. The fundamental assertion of your book, as I understand it, given away by your title, is that the unsayable is always either spiritual or bodily. Can you tell us more? Yes. I argue that throughout history, there's been a seesawing in talking mostly about English, but starting in Latin because it was so interesting, that the words that have this power sort of seesaw between religious words, which is the holy, and words based on the human body and its sort of parts and acts. And in ancient Rome, swearing is quite similar to 20th century British and American swearing. Then in the Middle Ages, you get holy. The early modern period is switching between. Then now in the 21st century, you've got sexual obscenities losing their power and racial and other kinds of slurs really becoming the worst words. Okay, great. Let's go a little more slowly through that historical linguistic change. And I suppose this podcast particularly centres on the early modern period. But to understand what was going on, then we do have to start with at least the late Middle Ages. So in the medieval period, what are the words that are offensive and why are they offensive? In the medieval period, the offensive words were oaths. And it's hard to imagine now because we still use oaths, but they're just almost meaningless. We don't even know that they were once swearing when you text OMG. It has no impact, really. But in the Middle Ages, swearing by God, and especially by God's body parts, were the most powerful words. They were the words that would shock and offend. And swearing became this sort of powerful form of language because of sincere swearing. The kind of swearing that you would do in court, raise your hand, say, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And in Catholic and Jewish tradition, what you do when you raise your hand and you say, I swear by God, and what your words do is they reach up to heaven and tap God on the shoulder and say, okay, now you're going to listen to what I'm saying. And if I 
am speaking the truth, great. And if I'm not speaking the truth, you're going to strike me dead or make my eyeballs bleed or whatever. All these horrible things that happen in the Middle Ages when people swear falsely. So that's where swearing gets its power. It is this way of people being able to interact with God. So then when you do that vainly, when you're playing dice and you say, by God, I hope I get a six. Basically, you're pulling God down into this disreputable thing and asking him to somehow intervene in this mundane, sinful activity. And that's very bad for the honor of God. So in other words, an oath is a bit like the word cleave. It means two radically different things. It's both the most sort of honest, purest thing you can say, and it's also the most vulgar thing one can say. Which is to say, is it not so much about the words themselves as about the context that is offensive? Yes, it's about what the words are doing. Yes, the context. So in the Bible, God sets down rules for what you're supposed to swear by, and you are supposed to swear only by God. And Catholics and Protestants and various other groups argue about what it means to swear by God. Is it swearing by God if you put your hand on a Bible? Is the Bible part of God? Is it not part of God? It's his word. Various people were executed and burned in barrels because they disagreed about that. So you have to swear by God. That's the authorized use. And yes, so if you swear sincerely by God, all okay. If you swear by God, yes, in context where you're in a tavern or you're lying or any of these false or vain occasions, then the same word is bad. And why is it worse to invoke part of God's body as opposed to just saying by God? So by God's nose, by God's arms, by God's hands, whatever the expression is. So swearing in those ways was a really bad way because that could actually rip apart Christ's body. In Catholic tradition, the Eucharist is a priest making the physical body of God. He says these magic words and what looks like a little round wafer turns into the body of Christ. So just like the priest can say magic words and make God's body swear words by God's bones and by God's teeth, because of the way swearing was thought to work and affect God, if you say by God's teeth, you're just asking God's teeth to judge the truth of your oath. So you're actually ripping them out of Christ's physical body, which sits in heaven on the right hand of God. Well, that is a very violent connotation. Yes. <laughs> yes. And what were minced oaths? Minced oaths were the kind of euphemistic versions of those oaths. If you didn't want to say, by God's blood, you could say, splud, or by God's wounds, then you get zooms or zounds, depending on how you would pronounce it. So the minstoes were shorter, slightly less offensive versions of the big bad ones. And if it's holy words that were considered obscene, then what would they have made of words that we might think rather coarse, scatological terms? Were they rude for the late Middle Ages? So late Middle Ages, it's starting to change, but certainly in the kind of high Middle Ages, early Middle Ages, they would absolutely not have been obscene. So the word cunt was never polite. But it didn't have that same power to shock and offend or to make your heart race. Those would have been the religious terms. 
So there were people who had cunt in their last names and names of streets, Grub Cunt Lane, I think, in Oxford. Yes, just down the road, now rendered to the much more polite Grove Lane, but yes. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) How boring. It's hard to imagine the sort of extent of places these words appeared because they just are so taboo, but they were everywhere. month on Gone Medieval from History Hit, I'll be asking, who really were the Vikings? How did they become so successful in spreading across Northern Europe and beyond from the late 8th to the 11th centuries? What are the stories we tell about them and what legacy did they leave behind for us today? I'm Dr Kat Jarman and throughout September I'll be examining the big questions about the Vikings with a host of experts and answering all of your burning questions about the Viking Age as well. So, for everything you always wanted to know about the Vikings, subscribe to Gone Medieval from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, host of Dan Snow's History Hit podcast here. History isn't just dates and facts. It's about the incredible stories that shape our world. Three times a week on my podcast, my expert guests and I bring you extraordinary stories of heroism, discovery, mystery, and power. Expect tales of lost tombs, daring escapes, power-hungry rulers, and those determined to bring them all down. If you're a history lover or just looking for a good tale, you want to check out Dan Snow's History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. And so as we move into the 16th and 17th centuries, you said that that was a kind of liminal phase. It's on the threshold between holy oaths and scatological obscenities being considered worse. Why do you think that happened? Why were oaths starting to lose their power to shock? Oaths were losing their power to shock for several reasons. One reason was the Protestant Reformation, when God's body basically was taken out of circulation to try to explain a complicated (laughs) topic very quickly with the Eucharist being God's physical body in Catholicism and Protestantism, it's the spiritual body. 
And if it's a physical body and you're in this frequent contact with God in the way that those were supposed to work, that's one thing. But then when you start to talk about a spiritual body, like what is that? And then how is swearing affected? And Protestant authors start to say things like, by God's blood, spiritually rip apart God's body, Christ's body in heaven. And it just doesn't have the same oomph. And I think even then, it was hard to get a grip on. What does it mean to spiritually rip apart Christ's body? Several other big societal effects, the rise of capitalism versus a lot of the relationships were guaranteed by oaths, lords and vassals swearing. And then during the revolution, Christopher Hill says there were something like 10 competing oaths that people had to swear. Oath of supremacy, oath of this, oath of that. And one year you'd swear loyalty to the king, the next year you'd swear loyalty to somebody else. So there were all these oaths that previously were supposed to be these incredibly serious things, and then you're just swearing so often that they lose their power. And then with rise of capitalism, the market, what guarantees your truth is not whether you swear, but whether you sell shoddy goods and whether people continue to buy them. Nevertheless, we do have some sort of innovations in blasphemy in the 16th century, don't we? I mean, some variations, some euphemisms that come into place. You've got equivocation. People argue that's another reason that oaths got less powerful. So if you were a Catholic, you had to pay fines. And if you harbored a priest, you could be arrested. And so people would ask Catholics to swear. They would come in and say, okay, you're going to have to swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. But then before they were asked a question, and this was the oath ex officio. And so various priests came, like Robert Subble, who is a martyr who was hanged, drawn, and quartered eventually. But he was accused of teaching the doctrine of equivocation, which means you could answer questions that the state authorities pose to you. You could answer that one way, but then you'd add a little bit in your mind for God. And so you wouldn't be lying, you would just be concealing the truth. Certainly the secular authorities considered that an innovation in swearing and were horrified. And there were all these people saying, oh, no state can stand when people equivocate, because how can you tell if people are telling the truth? You couldn't. (laughs) And so that was another reason that may have declined in power. So as you said, though, we have also the kind of increase of body parts and bodily products coming into use as obscenities. And it seems that words for sex are starting to become obscene. That There are more options than immediately spring to mind, though. Tell us about the words that they might have used. Yes, and these are words that were just becoming obscene in the early modern period. Like the word sard appears in the Lindisfarne Gospels in a translation of thou shalt not commit adultery. It's translated as don't sard another man's wife. That's another example of it not being obscene in the Middle Ages. But by the Renaissance, you have people saying, oh, the sarding sands, that's obscene. And so, yes, you have some other terms for those. Why those are becoming obscene has a lot to do with the invention of privacy, basically. The theory is in the Middle Ages, especially early Middle Ages, people just did not have privacy. In Beowulf, everybody's eating in the Great Hall, sleeping in the Great Hall, on the floor, in the rushes. 
And that's just where everybody did everything. And that kind of continues for hundreds of years. And even when people discover how to build fireplaces that don't collapse when you heat them up and you can get more rooms, you can put rooms above the fireplace. First of all, that was only for very wealthy people in the high Middle Ages. And secondly, if you had a bedroom, it wasn't your private room. There'd be servants sleeping in there, people coming in and out all the time. And so there wasn't this sense of privacy. And because there wasn't this sense of privacy and because you were constantly seeing people excreting and having sex, the acts were not shocking and thus the words weren't shocking. That's very interesting, isn't it? That parallel between what you consider to be unseen and obscene or seen and perfectly fine. So that doesn't explain, I suppose, maybe this is a later story, but why then have Saad and Swive and the other variants on this not continued to hold that sense of profanity that the word fuck has? Why did that get so much ruder? Historical evidence would suggest that Swive and Sard are as obscene as fuck in this period. But obviously we can't go back and experiment. And I don't know if we only need one obscene term. And fuck was better because it's got the fricative and the K versus the S. I don't know why they fell out of use and I guess we don't know where the word came from. I know there are lots of explanations, but do any of them hold water? The folk explanations, which are so good, the idea the fornicate under command of the king, the idea that a lot of English people died for some reason, maybe the plague, and the king said, no, we must repopulate. And so he issued commands saying, go forth and multiply. And so the posters were written, fornicate under command of the king. No, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> no, it feels like a bit of post-hot reasoning there, doesn't it? Yeah, but it comes comes from a Germanic word for to hit and to strike related to German ficken. So yeah, not as interesting as it could be. And can you give me some sense of the sources that you turned to when you were looking into this book to get a sense of what was considered rude? Yes, any sort of literature of the time, poetry, but also medical texts. A lot of dictionaries are so interesting because they want to include as many words as possible. But then, especially in the Renaissance, there is this idea that oh, you shouldn't include obscene words. So you can see then which words they do include, which words they don't include. And then there are a lot of court cases. That's a good place to look for swearing because you have a lot of people angry at each other <laughs> and insulting each other. And you have the problem, obviously, that in the Middle Ages, they were written in Latin or French. And then you'll get blah, 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 adulteravit. And then sometimes you'll get this wonderful English stuck in there, but then mostly you don't. Later, they start to be written in English, and then you can see what people are calling each other. So this is a, a bit of an unfair test, but if we were to create a Renaissance swear manual and we wanted to write down or learn particularly fruity ways of saying things in Tudor, as it were, how would we say the following? How do we tell someone to go away? So you could say, turd in your teeth. <laughs> okay, how about trying to exclaim when you feel that you're in a situation where it's impossible to <laughs> overcome? How would you say that? So a lot of the body part O's, which were still in use in the Tudor 
period could be applicable there. So you could say God's death, like Queen Elizabeth. She swore like a king, <laughs> like her father. That was also her father's favorite oath. How about oh dear? Oh dear would have been a very mild thing. So you could say something like God's light, which is slight, or zooms, zounds, maybe. So if actually we're finding that we perhaps use curse words a lot more than they might have done. I mean, that's one hypothesis anyway. What sort of things would have been actually an offensive word to use against somebody else? You know, how would you have really hurt someone's honour at this point? So if you wanted to insult someone, you could use whore or whoremaster, which were also legally actionable because if you called a woman a whore, you could damage her marriage prospects. If you accused a man of being a whoremaster or a whoreson, these things that derogated from people's honor, those were tremendously insulting. And that's so interesting, isn't it? Because for a woman, we've got her sexual honour being impugned. For a man, it is to do with sexual honour, but it's also kind of an economic slight, isn't it? It's about where he gets his money from. So it's interesting to think about what people don't want to be called at a certain time and how that changes over time. Yeah, I obviously find it very interesting. (laughs) And thank you for letting me talk about it. Well, I have certainly learned a lot today. (laughs) And it's very interesting, isn't it, to think that the sort of things that we would find spicy and offensive today would not have been so strong in the 16th century or the 15th or 17th, but that there are phrases that would have been used then that we wouldn't bat an eyelid at. And it's one of those perfect examples of looking at historical change. And your book, Holy Shit, A Brief History of Swearing, covers a lot more ground than we've managed to do in today's podcast. So if people want to know about swearing in the Roman era, in the 18th century, the 19th century, this is the place to turn. It's a really wonderful book. And it's been such a joy to speak to you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you to my producer, Rob Weinberg, and researcher, Esther Arnott. And thank you to you for listening to Not Just the Tudors. Now, there's a very special offer over on History Hit, where we release two new exclusive documentaries every week. So you don't just get your two hits of Not Just the Tudors, you could get two brand new exclusive documentaries every week. And of course, access to every episode of History Hit's ever-growing podcast network, but without the ads. When you sign up for a monthly subscription, use the code TUDORS or NJTT and you'll get two weeks free, followed by 50% off your first three months. You can find out more by following the link in the episode notes below this podcast. And can I ask you a favour? Please rate this podcast wherever you listen, now including on Spotify. And do send me your comments and suggestions for future podcasts. You can do that via our Twitter feed at NotJustTudors or by email NotJustTheTudors at HistoryHit.com. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. History is full of extraordinary people, the Tudors being just a handful. In my latest film on History Hit, we meet Bess of Hardwick and go inside the incredible house that she built, a house that defines the elegance and grandeur of the Elizabethan age, a house fit for a woman who climbed to the top of the Tudor social ladder. To find out more about the life of Bess and many more fascinating figures from the past, sign up via the link in the description with the code TUDORS for an exclusive discount.